That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Okay, well, once again, welcome to the same old song, a live edition where we awkwardly start this thing every year. And so, Aaron, how are you? I'm doing great. I was just looking in this wooden chest over here. Uh, I realize you do have inside of the Ark of the Covenant, which is pretty exciting. It's amazing, actually. Um, I feel like St. George's and Calvary, they're sort of like your great-grandma's attic. Like, there's just all this cool stuff everywhere you find, uh, like Chevy Chase in the, in the attic at Christmas vacation, like opening the boxes. Like, it's amazing. There's a picture of Albert Schweitzer, uh, Nobel Prize winner Schweitzer over there in the little vesting area because he designed the organ or something? Yeah, he, designed, cool he helped design the organ, and so uh, he was a good friend of the rector at the time, and, uh, and so they designed the organ. They had invited him in to design the organ. So. Yeah, anyways, I'm just into this. I don't know if it's interesting to any of you, but I, I like history and church stuff, and so, mm-hmm. this, so thank you for letting us do this here. Uh, and let's let the awkwardness commence. Usually when we do this, we are, I'm in Waco at St. Albans Episcopal Church. Jake is in his office by Gramercy Park, and we're seeing each other through a Zoom screen. And so it's, uh, and there's no, you, you guys aren't there. And so uh, we're going to try to do this yeah. and see how it goes. Well, it always goes well, I think. So, but let's kick it off. You think so. so. You're, I, was, you're I, I heard well, somebody so. at the registration table. <laughs> I overheard, this was the Lord checking my uh, pride. I heard somebody tell somebody, I'm not interested in that podcast thing, so I'm going to go, like, they were just moving right on to whatever the next thing is, and so... Single tier, single tier. that's right, um, that's right. I was like... Today we are going to be looking at this first episode, the fifth Sunday of Easter, and our readings today are Acts chapter 7, verses 55 to 60, uh, 1 Peter 31, 1 through 5, and then we jump to 15, 16, and then... uh, one of everybody's favorite passages to be read at a funeral. Yes. Um, Happy Mockingbird. John 14, 1 through 14. And the way, so, the truth, and the life. That's right. So uh, why don't we kick it off and uh, talking a little bit about Acts chapter 7. We have the stoning of Stephen here. Yeah, and by the way, the lady who said she wasn't interested in the podcast was Melina Smith. So you oh, might okay. want to talk to her <laughs> about that later. Uh, yeah, so we've been going through um, Acts as we are... Um, in this season of Easter. So if you are a liturgy nerd, you know that in uh, the lectionary cycle, Easter kind of has its own special flavor. So we've been in Acts, we're seeing the early church and the, as they begin to grow and figure out who they are. And, and this passage here uh, is one that shows a rapid shift in how things are going. It's sort of like the moment when you're on the road trip and you get a flat tire, or you have started the new job and you find out your boss is actually a complete narcissistic sociopath. Whatever you thought was going to be great, you started out well, and now you hit the rough part. So last reading, the week before, the fourth Sunday of Easter, you finished hearing from the book of Acts that um, day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And then 
And it's so big, they've actually had to appoint this whole order called deacons, and so that the presbyters can focus yeah. on the, the reading and the The church study. plant is yeah, exploding. It's, it's going great. Uh, and then Stephen gets stoned, and not the Grateful Dead concert kind. Yeah. Mm. Um, he gets uh, beaten to death with rocks. And it's this amazing picture. It says, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And the people covered their ears... Because he says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cover their ears. They don't want to hear it. And they drag him out and they stone him. Um, and I think there's a couple of things, if, you know, to, to preach this. Um, the, I think there's a, there a couple angles I would take. One aspect you could explore is just you can, this, the reality that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit as is Stephen, but filled with the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and you can be dying. You can be starting this movement of the church that's taking over the known world, and you can have this uh, success after success, and then you can have this massive persecution. Um, and I think there is so much of Christian teaching and preaching that is sort of like if you're full of the Holy Spirit, it means just things are going to be working out great. And if you're part of the Christian church, things are, you know, God is with you and he's got your back and everything will be fine. And yes, God has Stephen's back, but what it looks like here is this incredible persecution and difficult time. Uh, and yet, there's something also you… So this gives you an entree to talk about that thing that we talk about in Mockingbird a lot, sort of the left-handed power of God. That's a Lutheran idea. You know, God's right hand is the thing where God working in obvious ways and sunsets and babies and all kinds of nice, happy things, shiny, happy people. And then the left hand is sort of the… the stuff that looks like what you wouldn't want. And here you see that happening. And this ends up being the thing that opens up the gospel message to get finally out of Jerusalem and into the rest of the world um, as they respond to this, this event. So I think that's one area that I would kind of hit at is this, because everybody in church uh, is suffering and yet is somebody who maybe uh, is filled with the Holy Spirit. They're yeah. part of the body of Christ. And this kind of normalizes that and I think shows that just because your life is going poorly or there's something that's really hard that's happening, it doesn't mean that God is not with you and mm. that God's not working your life. So that's something I would talk about. I have another mm. thing, but I'll turn it back over to you. So I think um, an interesting way to like kind of preach this text, and I'm never into like you know, this, I, you know, I never want to get too Mel Gibson-y on people, but, uh, and I want to talk Always in, a, a, bad idea. In, a, in a passion of the Christ sense, but uh, stoning okay. actually wasn't just putting a guy up against a wall and throwing rocks at him. Uh, what they did was they took you up to a high place and threw you down, and if the fall didn't kill you, they dropped a big stone on you. But before they did this, <clears throat> there was an order of how this all went down. Before they did this, they asked you to make a confession. They asked you to recant. And this is the interesting thing. And so this is the context that's happening. And Stephen gives this amazing confession uh, earlier in Romans chapter 7 where he talks about how God began to work beginning with Abraham and making his way through Moses and then, you know, through David and all of these things and bringing them to this point uh, with Jesus Christ. And, uh, and he, his confession is pretty tough. His confession in that moment, right before this takes place, is, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did so, do you. 
Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels did not keep it. I mean, this is powerful. So this is what enrages the crowd. And this is because the heart of the gospel, I mean, is love. And we talk about this all the time. But the real message, what should have happened here, is there should have been a wave of repentance. And uh, this is the powerful. There should have been a wave of repentance because the heart of the gospel is the forgiveness of sins. Your sins are forgiven. And you see, when you basically think you're a good person, to be told you need to be forgiven gets your back right up against the wall. So you're seeing what the preaching of the gospel and what actually happens. Um, there's two responses, repentance and forgiveness or rage and anger. And so this is what's happening here. So this is the, this is the fruit of preaching. It's not going to be your best life now. There are actually going to be some people that are going to reject and hate you because of this message. And that's what happened to Stephen. Now, Luke does a couple of things here, and you know he's comparing Stephen on one level, like, I mean, the, the story of Jesus and the story of the church are going hand in hand. But he, um, and I think it's powerful that his accusers cover their ears. And why is that? Because the word of God always comes to you, not by what you see, but by what you hear. Mm. And, uh, and uh, what's being revealed here is how much they actually hate with a passion, these words, this message. But overall, I think the good news of the gospel is that you and I, and this is what you'd want to preach to the crowd, you and I have heard the good news of the gospel. Your hearts have been softened by this word that your sins are forgiven. And your stiff neck has been made soft by this word. And the good news about that is, is that whether you uh, die a brutal death like Stephen does, you know, maybe a car accident or maybe uh, some other be falling off a building, or whether you uh, die, you know, I mean, in the comfort maybe possibly of one of your children, whatever it is, because that word has gone into your ears and dwelt in your heart, your confession will be the same as Stephen. Your confession will be the same as Stephen. Um, and that is, uh, Lord Jesus, do not hold their sins against me and receive my spirit. And uh, the good news of the gospel is, is covered in his righteousness. When you die, uh, he will receive your spirit as well. Uh, that's great, Jake. And I think the, um, the thing, I love what you said about the people covering their ears. And this is just a reminder to me of how preaching is a non-rational act and the hearing <laughs> yeah. is a non-rational. Like the idea, like Stephen preaches this amazing sermon before this. It's a little long, to be frank, and he covers too much territory, which is why they leave it out. There's definitely the more than three points. Kind of meanders. So. <laughs> um, but so he, he does that, and, um, but it's all true and it's all good. Mm -hmm. And people just cover their ears. And I think so many times preachers think that they can just say something that is true and good and right and that, it'll, that it works. Mm. But you're, um, sometimes that direct approach, people just cover their ears, they don't want to hear it. So this, um, you have to often go around uh, people, not the direct frontal assault. So, and we'll actually see Paul do, do that next week when we get to his uh, speech at the Areopagus. But yeah. for now, just note, uh, but how many people here will preach on this fifth Sunday of Easter. That's May 7th. Anybody here a preacher who will actually preach this passage? Yeah, Show yeah. of hands. 
Yes, that's right. The Hall of Shame. Well done. Glad that you are doing this. Well, hopefully we'll give you some, some help. Uh, so feel free to take notes. But if you are preaching this, just note, you may want to underline for your congregation the fact that this is the appearance of Saul, who is Paul. This is where he shows up. He's, uh, he's sort of managing the coat room as people are stoning Stephen. And so um, just highlight that for your folks. They'll see him come up again. The other thing that is just bananas about this passage is that Stephen does something that Jesus does, which is to forgive the people who mm. are killing him, mm. um, which is that thing that is so just mind-blowing about Christianity. I mean, how forgiving are you, Jake, or you, people who are listening, um, when somebody is walking slowly in front of you on the sidewalk? Like, I don't know about you, but it doesn't take a lot for me to just get enraged about people that are in my way or making my life difficult or anything like that. And here, they're killing him, and he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Mm. And that's, to me, that's, a, that's what it looks like when somebody has been so profoundly forgiven and knows that they are forgiven. I forget that all the time, which is why I get impatient with other mm. people. But, but Stephen clearly has, um, well, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, so yeah. he's, he's got it going on. That's good. Well, uh, anything you want to correct or amend? No, no, you, you did a great okay. job. Thank you. So, uh, but we me. can um, go on to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. And uh, in the season of Easter, we, uh, we meander through uh, Peter's first epistle the here Petrine as well. The letter. That's, That's right. right. And, so, and, uh, and what would you say about this? Anything stick out to you in particular, Aaron? He says to be a baby. Yeah, I love that. Um, Long for the pure milk. The, be like newborn infants, he says. Uh, Come this, on, but when are we going to get some meat? I know. Did you ever hear know, people say that to you? Yeah, give me the meat. Yeah. When are you going to tell me what to do? <laughs> um, right now. Shut it. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the Peter is all about dealing with the reality of suffering in the life of the Christian. It's, it's sort of after the church has now become established and they're they're trying to figure out why are we being persecuted so much? Why is, I'm a Christian, it should be going great. I, I've got the live, laugh, love thing on my wall. Um, but I'm not laughing or loving and I, life sucks. So he's talking about how, how is the Christian you live with suffering. And in this part, he's, t he's kind of reminding them of who they are. And he has all these metaphors walking, working together. Uh, you're, you're a living stone. You're a rock that's alive, that's been built into a temple. But you're also a priest in that temple. Um, it's not a temple you can actually see. Um, he has all these uh, verses he's quoting from the Hebrew scriptures about rocks and cornerstones and all that. But I think if I would um, uh, point something out, kind of a thing I would really want to draw from this, is that God's way is not the same thing as people's way of working in the world. Um, it says, the, come to him, Jesus, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. So, Again, he's talking to people who are suffering. They're trying to figure out how that fits in their life. And he says, come to Jesus, who is a living stone, but was rejected by mortals and chosen and precious in God's sight. So the, Jesus is rejected by people, but chosen and precious in God's sight. So this is the two ways of working mm -hmm. in the world. God's way, which people tend to reject, and then the people's way, which we think is how it should be. And he's just, I think there's just such a massive difference between how God works in the world and in our lives and uh, versus how, if we were running things, how we would do it. And, and that kind of comes up again and again in this uh, passage, that the, what the world thinks is trash, God loves. And what the world loves, actually, God thinks is not very important. So the stone the builders rejected has become the very cornerstone. So that's kind of what's going on here. Yeah, that's great. I think, uh, too, 
I mean, and to kind of build on what you said, I mean, this is a great passage about identity. And, uh, you know, everybody there is just kind of, especially if you were like a first century Jew and a Jewish Christian, you'd be like, what the heck is going on, you know, here? Um, And, uh, you know, uh, there's no more temple. Everything is changing. And then we've got this guy, Peter, who all, like used to be kind of a fisherman, and now he's telling us that all that really matters is a little word and a little bread and wine, and like that's my entire identity now. And like, what's going? You know, and like I'm getting kicked out of my house and not allowed to go home or anything like that. I mean, everything is literally, literally crumbling, and uh, and. Peter steps in and he won, and this is a good news for a Jewish Christian, and this would have been amazing news for a Gentile Christian. For the Jewish Christian, it assured them that they were part of a plan that God had from the very beginning. And for the Gentile Christian, it's you're part of that same plan now from the very beginning, being built into, up into something beautiful. Uh, like, you know what I mean? And you, people talk about today, we need a new, like, you know, you hear some folks talking about a new temple in Jerusalem. Nope. Run from those words. We are the temple. Yeah. We are the temple where the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell and where we offer ourselves up continually as living sacrifices. But so he ties this in, and he doesn't use this word by mistake, being a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because So he's tying this into the book of Exodus and, and into the book of Leviticus, where you have God's people kind of wandering around the wilderness. And that's what's happening with you and I as we follow our one true Joshua, waiting for him to bring us into the promised land through his death into everlasting life. And so, but God, he, uh, he, or Peter tells them that they're a royal priesthood as well. We are that same group of people making our way through this world. And that is so because God has said it to be so. And so we can live our lives modeling that out as God's people, uh, loving our neighbors and living our lives as faithful witnesses um, to uh, the good news of the gospel that uh, Jesus has remembered us. And so that's what I would kind of say about that. And I want to address one uh, verse here, in, which is verse 8, because um, I don't know about you, but I was uh, for some time really shaped by a way of being a Christian that very much wanted to push, obey, 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 mm-hmm. like be the good Christian person, yep. do all the things, here's the list that yeah. you must uh, check off all the things. Mm. And I think about verse I 8 I still here. wrestle with that. You st- yeah, well, I know. I mean, you're trying so hard. Yeah. You're doing a great job, I will say. <laughs> do, you have any, do you have any tips for me? Um, well, we'll get to that. So, so you know, t- we talked earlier about kind of our ears, and sometimes we shut our ears. We don't want to hear the gospel. And I think one of the ways we shut our ears to the message of God's grace is that we read a verse like verse 8, and we think it's about legalistic observance mm. of the law. So it says... Peter writes, they stumble because they disobey the word. Mm. So if you hear that, they stumble because they disobey the word, you must, then Christianity must be about, well, you have to obey the word. Mm-hmm. And that we hear that, the way we kind of stop our ears is we, we hear that as being, um, you, you should not disobey the rules. You must obey the rules. You must be a good Christian. Uh, but it doesn't say they stumble because they disobey the rules. It says they disobey the word. And we know that the word is Christ. And you say, well, so, so it's saying you shouldn't disobey any of the things that Jesus commanded us to do. No, the thing that Jesus tells us to do is to have faith 
and to trust wholly in His grace and His love mm. and not in anything we do. So it's the opposite of like following uh. a list and checking off all the, all the things that we're supposed to do. Um, they stumble because they disobey the Word, meaning they are resistant to the grace of God. They're resistant to the fact that everything is giving, given away for free. Um, to disobey the Word, Jesus Christ, is to try to do it all yourself, mm. is to try to be sort of that, um, that perfect Christian in some sense in your own strength. So anyways, this is, that's, that's one of the ways, uh, when people hear that again, that this is one of the verses if you wanted to use it to try to tell people, Christianity is about following the rules. When do you, when do, yeah. when do you tell me what to do? Yeah. And I would say that's one of the, you know, you could point to that and think that, but I think when you really understand it, it's about the opposite of that. That's absolutely right. And that's why, actually, so the lectionary reading begins in verse 2, but in verse 1, Peter tells them to put away, therefore, all wickedness, all deceit, hypocrisy, envies, and all evil speaking. And then it goes, like newborn infants, long for the pure word. So then you begin to make sense of that. You know, most of the time when I'm at my most wicked, my most envious, my most, like, slanderous, like it's yesterday. very rare. It's yeah. very rare. I've been yeah. high sanctification points. But, but uh, um, when I'm at that, it's because I'm doing it myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? I am uh, anxious and crazy because I am doing a dance for uh, some sort of God that hasn't spoken to me. And, uh, but this God, the God of um, our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, speaks to us, and it comes to us, and it makes us children. Jesus says, lest you become like children. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so I need that milk daily, and that's the gift that he gives. Amen. Well, turning now to that passage, John's Gospel, chapter mm. 14. This is, I mean, I, when I was preparing for this, I wrote these no, uh, some notes, and I wrote, funerals, exclamation point, <laughs> because in the Episcopal Church, this is one of the readings that is selected and often chosen. You know, there's there all the gospel readings for a funeral, for a burial service, are all from John's Gospel, and John 14 is, is one of the ones that's most often chosen, because I think it's so, you know, if you think about who, people that are picking readings for funerals, they're always the children mm -hmm. of the deceased person. Um, not always, but almost always. And I think the reason they choose this is because what you read first of all, imagine you're, you're dealing with your mom's death and you're choosing readings and, you're, and then the priest has given you all these, you can choose from all these different things. And you get to this one, it says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Mm. And I, I mean, I, I would be like, yes, that one, that's what I need to hear. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Mm. Um, and I think it's, it's so beautiful the way Jesus says that I'm going to prepare a place for you, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again, and I will take you to myself. So he's talking about death, and he's talking about life after death, and whatever that might look like, but he's basically saying, um, you're terrified, I get it, because death is scary and uncertain, but I'm going there ahead of you, and I'm going to go and get your room ready. And it's going to be scary, but I'm going to come and get you. I mean, it's just, it's just this touching thing. If you ever um, uh, have had to, uh, to drop someone off at, at school or at a summer camp or, you know, something like that, move your parent into assisted living, you know, you kind of want to go and get everything ready for them and, and send them off. And, uh, and then you say goodbye. But here he's saying, no, I'm going to come get you. I'm going to bring you to that place. I've gotten it ready for you. And you're going to be with me so that where I am, you may be also. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much comfort in this. So I think one of the things that a preacher does, and then I'll, 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 I'll let you get a word in edgewise here, Jake. Um, the preacher has to recalibrate first for herself or himself, and then for the congregation, all the wrong ideas about God that we carry around all the time. 
um, the idea that God is there um, to um, kind of monitor your performance, yeah. that God is there with another shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. You know, Anne Lamott says God doesn't have another shoe, yeah. but we're always kind of waiting for that crisis. Or the way we talk about God is the, the big guy, the man upstairs. I hear this mm -hmm. all the time. Uh, and it's some sort of foghorn, leghorn cartoon is what I imagine when they say, like, the big mm -hmm. guy. Um, I'll say, I'll say, I'll say, get your act together. Um, and here, Jesus brings us back to what God actually is like, and the preacher can help the congregation know that what God is actually like, when you face the most scary thing, which is your death, Jesus is going there ahead of you. He's going to prepare a place. He's going to come back. You don't have to find it on your own. Yeah. You don't have to pull up. He's going to come back and get you and bring you there. Um, and he says, by the way, if you want to know what God looks like, look at me. Whoever's seen me has seen the Father, he says in verse 9. Yeah. So this is against all those wrong ideas about what God might be like, that God is um, uh, grading your performance and basically upset with you. Yeah. Jesus here says, if you don't know what God is like, look at me. And Jesus, every time he catches somebody who's being caught red-handed, he always lets them off the hook. He's always gracious. He's always loving. He mm -hmm. always heals. That's what God is like. And I think that's what the, the preacher needs to do with this passage. Yeah. And I think also um, one of the things that the preacher should do with this particular passage is kind of uh, the abstract kind of place isn't very helpful on a deathbed. Mm -hmm. You're going to a, where, where, where the hell am I going? A better you know place. I mean? Like, yeah, better place. Don't ask any more questions. Yeah, that, that's it. I think it's there might better. be fried chicken there, yeah. but that's all there. No, uh, see, they are, they're, they're, they're realizing the bubble's about to pop. Yeah. This is like why Thomas asks these very questions. And uh, when Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you, uh, what he's talking about here, just think about, like, you know, when I think about a great place, I think about my grandma's house in Newton, Iowa, and all of the smells and all of the wonderful things that came with it. But it was important to me. I mean, it was important to me, not because of Newton, Iowa, but because of the experience I had there with a person. Feeling loved. Yeah, I think about that place we went to in Texas. You know what I mean? I never go back there again. But that <laughs> Come on. place, no, I'm just kidding. But it was, a wonderful, it was a wonderful place because you guys were there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's, um, it's, a, there is, it's all about a person. And that's what Jesus is really getting at. This isn't an abstract place that he's speaking of. This is he's speaking of himself. And this is why when Thomas says, where are you going? He's not like, well, let me give you directions. He points, as he always does throughout John's gospel, to himself. He's like, I am the way. Basically, I am what stands between you and a righteous God. I am the truth. I am the truth. I am the, you want to know what God really is? Take a look. You know, I think it's, um, I think that's very powerful. And I am the life. I mean, here he is. And in him, these are all yours now. These are all yours now. And that is comforting on your deathbed because it's not abstract. It's real. It's a person mm. we're talking about. And uh, that is a promise that will see you through this age and into the age that is to come. And I think that's really something like with preachers. And I think we tend to forget 
is that um, we're preaching to... I don't. Well, yeah, you don't, but that's what makes you great. Yeah. No, uh, but we, uh, we're preaching to um, dying people and we are preaching to dead people. And it is the words of the gospel, not life tips, but words of this gospel that bring people back to life. And they need to hear it Sunday after Sunday. We need to remember that that's, that, that is what we're doing and there's an urgency to this message. I think when you forget as a preacher that people are dying and or dead, uh, then we lose that sense of urgency. And uh, there needs to be a sense of urgency and uh, that creates a sense of passion that comes with this. It's not fake, it's not contrived, but it's real because people are going to die and they need to know that in Jesus, death is not the end. When you said we preach to dead people, you know what came to mind? What? Thriller. Oh, and I was great. imagining the dancers from Thriller um, sitting in the pews. So <laughs> just think about that when you're preaching, just a little of But I, I you know, um, uh, so, but I want to say that it's that reality, if I can say Wait, that. for the podcast listeners, I just have to say that moment of silence was me very poorly recreating some of the choreography from the Thriller video. Yeah, it was yeah. supposed to be really And that funny, silence but, um, that you heard after that was the people not laughing yeah. at that. <laughs> So, but what I want to say is the reason why that's important, why it's not an abstraction, and why it can't be. Not, we're not just talking about a place, we're talking about a real person. Is that is what gives that real person, Jesus Christ, living and true by the power of the Holy Spirit, is what gives him when he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Mm. Um, it turns that, I mean, not always is it only a command, but it's a promise. And it makes it real and it makes it efficacious. And that's what you can base your hope on when uh, he tells you, I've actually prepared a place for you because God's no liar, as Luther once said. And uh, it's real. Yeah. Amen. Well, I think that'll do it. Um, Jesus singing Styx's, come sail away with me. I'm the yes. way, the truth, and life. Come with me. So we'll now wrap up the fifth Sunday of Easter. Yeah. And, and uh, scene. Scene. So thanks, podcast listeners. See you again next Sunday for Easter 6. All right. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.